Welcome to the ALN podcast series. Today's episode is brought to you by the Andrew James Advisory Group. AJAG provides training in the ISO 55000 standard, and our world-class training qualifies students to take the ALN A55K certification exam, an industry recognition of an individual's knowledge of the standard. Certified individuals add value to any organization's asset management initiatives. Realizing your ISO 55000 vision need not be painful. Visit us at www.andrewjamesadvisory.com to see how we can help. Now, enjoy the podcast. And welcome uh, everybody with us today or viewing this at some time in the future. And it's great to welcome Peter here. Uh, <clears throat> let me start by saying how I came across this. And I have to give credit to Tom Carpenter of Australia, uh, who is on TC251 and had been the delegate or the representative from TC251 to the special ISO group looking into risk. And that has a little story in the history all of itself, which I guess uh, Peter, Peter knows something about. Uh, uh, but Tom, at our TC251 plenary meeting, uh, mentioned Peter and this graph, one graphic that we'll, we'll show at some point uh, in, the, in the program here, that uh, as it talks to value and includes the concept of risk. And I looked at it and I said, oh my God, this is it. This is the simple version of what we've been trying to express. And, and it really adds a lot of depth to it. So, uh, and then we got to, I got to talk to Peter a couple of times and it's even better than that. So, uh, well met, Peter. Uh, how are you today? Very well, thank you, Jim. I'm looking forward to the conversation. <laughs> That's great. So tell people a little about yourself. Which, where are you and, you know, a little bit about your background? Sure, sure. Um, Central of the known universe, which is uh, Ireland. I'm in the south of Ireland. Um, uh, our second city in Cork. And uh, this might give away my deep history, which is uh, Irish military. I served in the military as a young officer, spent 15 years there. Knocked around the world quite a bit, risk governance spaces. Spent about three years living and working in the States, New York. And um, about 18 months ago, I did a deal with, uh, with Archer, which is the world's largest governance risk compliance platform provider, uh, about 800 customers, mostly Fortune 1000. And uh, to bring my ESG team into Archer, set up that practice, and basically, and our first kind of solution came out of the box around last June or thereabouts. This ESG, ESG being just the metrics to do with sustainability, long-term performance, and so forth. So that's my my uh, kind of pocketbook uh, profile. I've heavily invested, obviously, in ISO, both in terms of the TC two six two risk management, where I'm the convener of the strategic advisory group there. And I'm one of the editors of the Governance of Organizations standard, the first ever global standard for governance of organizations. That's in TC 309. Yeah. Wow, that's 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 a lot. And that's kind of the theme of the, a lot of what we've been talking about lately, but certainly about today is sort of the you know the convergence of some of these topics, uh, especially in that uh, a lot of what we're talking about is targeting organizational leaders and policymakers. Uh, you know, we have there's just incredible organizations and background and importance around 
asset lifecycle activities and asset management activities. Uh, but when you know we speak at those kind of conferences, there's always a frustration of trying to get to impact senior leadership. So uh, that ESG conversation, the risk conversation, uh, you know, and the asset management conversation and asset leadership, as we would say, uh, are there's a lot of alignment around trying to impact senior leaders uh, and how they manage organizations. The uh, so let's you you come from this this great risk background. Can you give us a, a couple minutes on? Uh, maybe where the ISO effort on risk is and, uh, you know, any particular insight or thoughts you want to share on risk and how it might inform our yeah. asset management perspective? Sure. I guess um, risk is is uh, facing, you know, as a concept, as a series of industry practices, facing huge challenges today, huge, um, like many other disciplines. Um, so I came across a very interesting number about three years ago from one of the uh, World Economic Forum reports that said that uh, in the 21st century alone, we're going to experience, and we are experiencing, uh, 20,000 years of technology advancement in this century alone, adjusted for the pace of change. Meaning, we all know how long it took for the television to take off as a product that's in everyone's home, to how long it took for mobile devices to take off, to everything else now. That coupled with um, a world which is clearly growing in uncertainty. We saw one single event, the spread of a virus caused the world to come to a standstill. What these things tell us is that uh, the traditional kind of doctrine and risk management was that you, in a rather linear fashion, identified a risk, then you set about assessing it, having put parameters around it, you uh, monitor it and you put treatments in place and so forth. Well, what do you do if you can't identify the risks that are going to knock you over tomorrow morning, if you can't first identify them? And that is um, the case in most instances where um, there is a reducing number of risks in the so-called risk universe that can be mastered in any kind of, of um, demonstrably credible way. So it means that organizationally, um, organizations have to find a way of being pretty much indifferent to whatever happens, whatever's around the corner. Mm. And it means that at a board level, um, the board have to um, mandate, this is one of the particular things that we've written into one of the principles of governance of organizations in the risk governance principle, they have to mandate the requirement, um, however it's to be achieved, manifested, that organizations can sense and anticipate as an organization um, what's around the corner. Um, because at the moment, risk by and large is in the department of no, the risk and compliance department, so-called second line of defense. Truthfully though, if you've got 100,000 folk or 1,000 folk in your organization, they're your risk managers, they're eyes and ears. How do you tap into that such that in a structured way, we get an organizational sense of what's around the corner? Organizations that uh, can do that, that's a new competitive advantage, right? If you can do that ahead of your less adaptive competitors, then um, that's good for you. If you can't, you're probably dead. We just don't know it yet. That's the challenge and risk. 
you know, uh, uh, with our conversations and some others have had uh, in, in talking about leadership and, and that chart of years that we'll get to, the, you know, it seems a leader could be seen to have two jobs. Uh, one is an organizational leader and one is to use information and management techniques to systematize responses to situations. So anything you can figure out and understand, you program an answer and you decide ahead of time in the way you just said. Uh, but that leaves that the real, the, the challenging portion is the, you know, the unknown unknowns. And, uh, you know, it would seem, it seems like we place a lot of emphasis on, you know, managing and managing information. If you can't measure it, you can't manage it. Yeah, yeah, you know, I would say what you can't, uh, you know, you manage what you measure. <laughs> but it doesn't mean that that doesn't leave a lot of things that should be managed or could be managed, you know, if they're identified, uh, you know, in the way you say. say. Uh, it also occurs to me that with the things you mentioned in, in climate change, et cetera, we could be in the century of risk and, and risk management. You know, mm. the, uh, I think at least organizations I've worked for, think of risk in an almost sort of complacent way. It's like, oh yeah, it's yeah. A thing to do risk management. But I mean, it's like risk management, you know? Like, you know, how are we gonna, as you said, how are we gonna continue to exist uh, is the risk. Yeah, well, one of the things, you know, that I've, um, in the last revision to the global risk standard, ISO 31000, um, I led a team that did the design spec for that revision. The design spec was not accepted. It was thrown out by the traditionalists um, because I said, you know, let's keep the word risk on the front cover, but not use it anywhere else <laughs> at all. Why? Because risk simply is just an aid. It's a it's a it's a decision making tool. Mm -hmm. um, and risk, in truth, you know, if I'm if I'm sitting in New York, I'm going to drive down to D.C. and I've got a mission critical meeting. Um, and you know, I perhaps I forget when I was living in New York. Maybe I, th I forget if I could do it in four or five or six hours. Let's say six hours, comfortably, without running the risk of picking up any penalty points. Right? Um, my objective, by this in New York, is to get to DC. That's my objective: get to DC in six hours. But let's say I got a mission critical meeting to take to get. Okay. And uh, I got to get there in four, uh, because if I get there on time, I'm going to sign the deal and make bunches of money. So I might decide I'm going to try and get there in four hours and I'm going to pick up a bunch of penalty points along the way because I'm prepared to accept the risks because the real risk is not getting there on time. My objective is what it's all about. So anything that can stop me or slow me down on my journey to achieving an objective is a risk, right? Now, when it's explained like that, that's just organized common sense. Um, and... Um, and to the point about system as, you know, putting systems in place, the first principle in the governance of our organization, and we decided when we started doing this work that it had to be future-proofed. And we recognized in future-proofing this governance of our organization standard that the world is living in uncertainty, the pace of technology change and all of that. And we said the first thing that people have to understand is um, 
how mission critical it is for organizations to understand their purpose, understand the why we are here, not what we do, but why we are here. Um, and to articulate that in a handful of words, such that um, it doesn't just become a poster on the wall, but actually guides people in decision-making. Um, because from a systems perspective, um, I worked a bunch of years ago with some really clever folk, and we tried to understand how we could automate strategic uh, management, strategic risk thinking. We found we couldn't do it. And working on the principle of, let's say, you know, banks today can set up a system whereby it can decide to give you a loan of a thousand euros, thousand dollars in five minutes, once you meet certain minimum criteria. Mm -hmm. But that's a simple piece of business logic required there. At a strategic level in an organization, there's just too many variables. And you find that when you can, you can identify the variables, but the length of time it takes to get, in, to get the data in, right, to systems whereby the logic will work just won't apply. So truthfully, an organization has to really know why it's around, what its purpose is, a collective sense of what good or bad looks like in terms of decision making. And that's where corporate values also come in, such that your frontline decision maker can make a decision as quickly or better and faster than his competitor, which means he or she hasn't got time to run emails back and up and down the organization. So, so risk decision-making is, is just part and parcel of every day. Any, any P&L owner is a risk manager. It's not the administrator back in the office. Um, I, I might've gone off with a bit of a tangent there. Forgive me if I've done that, um, but I'm just kind of tr trying to get a sense of, yeah. of um, this kind of world we live in where you, you can't see risk, you can't see assets because most assets today are intangible, right? Um, which is a more recent phenomenon that maybe we could we talk about later as well. Yeah, well, maybe it's time to, to look at that uh, to look at that graphic. Is that, does that sound uh, like a good idea? Mike could sure. bring it up. So here we have um, an interesting an interesting slide from Bloomberg, sourced by Aon. And it shows the growth over, over recent decades in intangible assets over tangible assets, right? And, you know, I just, uh, I, I, I stole a kind of a title from a Bloomberg piece, you know, S&P 500 assets we cannot see, okay? And um, this is one, in fact, this is one of those um, subliminal drivers to the explosion in ESG. Because this particular phenomenon has been understood for some considerable time now by the, uh, the big funds in particular. Um, it's caused, for example, the International Federation of Accountants, IFAC, to um, put out some white papers recently on the notion that chief value officers are, need, are, are going to, through a rite of passage from being chief financial officers to chief value officers oh. because if, if if most of the assets that comprise the total value of the entity the organization are intangible but chief cfos typically can only count the tangibles parameterize the tangibles either they're out of a job or the organization's in trouble so um, um and there's a lot of work going on behind the scenes in the whole area of defining value value accounting, 
because effectively these are organizations that now realize that they're sitting on this stack of capitals, most of which relate to you know, human capital, societal capital, natural capital. There is, the, the, the debate has yet to be concluded as to they define you know, the actual, there's the debate as to whether there are four or six or eight capitals and so forth. But the point is the, trade, the capital, the, 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 the value train has left the station. Um, and uh, the, the global leaders, the policymakers at the level of the institutes and the professional bodies um, are now beginning to, to, um, to uh, grapple with this. And, and this is just another manifestation to that, uh, the more, more recent number in terms, which, uh, which Mary provided uh, last night. No, um, no. So it kind of tells the story as well. I mean, I was doing some work today. I was looking at, a, I think it was a Fortune 50 or so sustainability report. And they were looking at the physical climate risks to their principal, their principal assets, their, their manufacturing production centers. The value they see in a, in a piece of concrete, concrete a, a campus, is not to do at all with the, the, um, the value of those physical assets. It's to do with what goes on within those buildings, right? What would happen if they weren't available? And there are a few things in terms of the business model and the operating model that are not touched and affected if the integrity of that asset base, just that one asset type classification of asset, if that at any point um, is undermined in terms of its integrity or, or so forth. So um, that's, that's part of the complexity of leadership and decision making today. So I see, I see Mike is prompting me again to this, this, this slide here which is um, the value at risk um, slide just in, in, the, in a minute on the top right hand kind of sp space of the continuum we're talking here about the kind of decisions that are made at a um, at a board at a strategic uh, decision making level where um, decisions that are value creating decisions are made and big bets are placed, big, big bets are placed with regards to views of the future. Um, and people knowing that the decisions that they're making are laced with uncertainties, but they must make the decisions because if they cannot grow, if they do not grow, then dividend income is not going to grow. If they, if they say we're, we're fine and dandy, we're good enough as it is, then they'll be outpaced, they'll be outstripped by the competitors and their investors will leave them. Their employees will leave them because they won't see a future. So at the value creation, at the value creation level, risk decision-making um, is, is really more of a thing of the gut with very broad parameters in place. At the bottom left-hand area of the continuum, you have the value preservation space where hopefully having you know, risked 100 million or whatever the number is, we get to a point where it goes from concept to project planning to execution to getting some mastery around the particular project that we have launched um, and we're getting into a, an area of business as usual. Having made uh, the value creation big risk decision at the top of the continuum, those same, those same people in the board will say, we now have zero tolerance for risk with regards to any um, 
uh, damage that would be done to our asset base, uh, tangible and intangible, um, in the value preservation space. That's what this, uh, at a very high level, uh, value at risk continuum uh, really is all about. It's about moving the discussion, not from risk, not from assets, but to the value that we are creating, the value that we are preserving, the value that we want to um, sustain over time. And what God helps, the value that we don't want to destroy, that we're not going to destroy. It requires a lot of joining up of dots, many of which are invisible to most people. Yeah, so I think it's, you know, it's really worth, you know, and it's still, you know, I'm still gaining awareness about all of this for sure. But, you know, to me, that explanation really ties is, is where we can understand from an asset management perspective, where we spend a lot of time talking about value. And, and of course, we talk about risk as well. Uh, but a lot of time talking about value. But really, that's what ESG is all about, is is defining value and you know what you know what is value and what uh what organizations what does success look like for organizations and how should organizations be managed and judged do i have that right you do indeed and in fact you know the 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 kind of term esg esg is really just shorthand for sustainability okay mm -hmm. because esg technically is really all of the E, S, and G topics. They all, really in aggregate, all ESG is, are, are, it comprises really most of the non-financial activities um, that take place in an organization to achieve a financial outcome, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a lot of stuff. And all of these E, S, and G topics, they all have different taxonomies, um, different units of measure, and different approaches. And the whole ESG debate that's going on at the moment, um, the, what's really happening is apart from organizations, you know, scrambling around trying to gather, understand the stuff, gather uh, these data, structure it, cleanse it, such that becomes decision useful. What's really happening is that in five years time um, or so, um, certainly in outside of the States, and I guess it's gonna happen in the States as well, but you're going to be required to produce one report, which will be an integrated report with both the financial data and the non-financial data all in one place. And you're going to be required to aggregate all of these data along with the financial data. You've got to be able to relate financial performance with sustainability performance, where the metrics on the, say, the ESG side aren't, aren't, aren't kind of dollars in the bank, as it were, different uh, units of measure and so forth. Mm -hmm. That's quite a challenge. At a design level, it's been worked out. Um, and, and now um, the task forces are producing the, the, uh, the guidances. And uh, just now as well, you have the profession beginning to train up their people such that when it comes to in Europe in two years' time, in 2025, 12,000 companies, the biggest 12,000 companies in Europe, will have to produce sustainability reports. It's integrated report. Um, and um, they'll be producing those reports in 2025 on their 24 numbers, right? That's, mm -hmm. It's only going to be a limited assurance, that's the lower bar, um, but it's a, it's, it's a beginning. Um, but that is the, the, that, that's the real train that's left the station because the capital markets, the pension funds, they want to know that the businesses they're investing in 
are going to be around in 20, 30 years time, that they're going to be able to transition from the old world way of doing things, part of which is fossil fuels, to a green fuel economy, but also all the other things like AI and, and how do you attract and retain millennials? You know, it's a different challenge than attracting and training folk like you and I. We had different values back in the time that we were starting off. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to, you know, equating, uh, you know, ESG uh, in the way that you did. The I'm thinking of people that, uh, equating it to sustainability, I'm sorry. The, you know, we still have people here, I and mean, then perhaps you do in Europe as well, that, you know, are against ESG reporting, which is like, you know, seems, you know, uh, hard to understand to me, but uh, yeah, I guess, you know, too much, they think the thought is too much corporate oversight. But when you equate it with sustainability, which makes perfect sense, uh, then how can they deny that that's an important investment criteria? That's, uh, you know, there's a point of view that maybe the, the term ESG should be retired in some structured way because it's just too, it's too confusing. It's, it's, it's kind of divisive as a term in the States, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and that uh, it doesn't really, um, even to folk, or even, to, even, in, even in parts of the world where it's not a, a divisive term, but the reality is that most people don't understand that ESG is about performance over the longer term, sustainable performance over the longer term. That's the game. Because the world has become so uncertain, and you know, if we think about it, the the uh, before COVID happened, uh, the mother of all central banks, the Financial Stability Board, right? All the central banks was created in response to the the effectively the, the global financial crisis. Was asked by the G7 finance ministers um, in response to the information they were getting, this metadata about uncertainty in the world. Everything from anyone who reads the uh, World Economic Forum reports, the risk reports, will see that at the level of finance ministers saying, wow, things ain't as reliably, you know, the, the world is becoming more uncertain. What are we going to do about it? Particularly in the context of climate, whatever about its origins, it's changing for sure. And they're saying, really, we want businesses to understand that most business, most business business models effectively are, are goosed, they're brown bread, they're finished. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do we do that? And so um, it asked the FSB to do something about it. It created the task force on climate-related financial disclosures. And it introduced a very, very simple framework, four pillars, governance, nothing new about that. Strategy, nothing new about that. Risk management, nothing new about that. Metrics and targets, now that was new. Well, it wasn't so much new, but the, the particular metrics, right, about all this E stuff, the S stuff, and G stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was all about saving the economy, right? Saving the economy, getting the penny to drop. But all of that then was fast-tracked with COVID. Um, and in truth, by the way, I would say to you that in terms of the kind of discussions I'm having with people and the information I have to hand, we should have been having this, these discussions 20 years ago. The chances are we're, we haven't got a hope of achieving the, the climate uh, reduction targets that um, the, the temperature reduction targets that we're hoping for, not a hope. Well, I knew this was not gonna end at 30 minutes, um, but I do want to uh, let people 
who need to move on go, but before anybody does go, um, and before we go into overtime, I want to thank Peter. This is just the start. Uh, so everybody knows we're gonna get Peter as involved as we possibly can. And one of the things you'll see at the end is another presentation. Thank you to our platinum organizational member, to our patron members, to all of our organizational members. And then on Tuesday, I've got 14 January, that's wrong, it's uh, 24th of January. Peter will be giving a full presentation on his um, the slide that he showed one of, he's got about a 15, 20 minute presentation that shows evolution of the data on those slides. And he'll be talking about that and further uh, discussion about uh, ESG and the whole CFO versus uh, uh, chief value officer discussion. And um, to get the overtime started, I wanna ask Jim, what got you so excited about the presentation that Pater gave? Yeah, I still got more questions. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, the, uh, well, we've been trying to find a simple way. I, you know, I'm of the, the frame of mind that once you understand something, you can express it simply and generally. Uh, and we've been, really that slide is the story of the ALN. Uh, you know, if the the graph, you know, the the value of preservation is hugely important, and it's uh, you could you could characterize that as asset lifecycle management. You know, is one view of that one you know of that part of the slide, but that from the asset leadership network perspective, uh, we have focused on the more of the value creation part. Uh, you know, and what you can do with it. My, I, I always try to think of things, uh, put things in simple terms so, uh, for analogies. And I think of a car when I look at that graph is why do you buy a car? Oh, I buy the car to make the car payments. Oh, I buy the car so I can put gas in it. Oh, I buy the car so I can maintain it. It's like, no, you don't, that's not why you buy a car. You buy a car so you can go places and do the things you want to do. Uh, and that's where the value creation part to me is, is thinking about how you're going to use that car in a way that provides value in that broad definition, way of a definition uh, to you. It doesn't mean that maintaining it isn't critically important and fueling it isn't critically important, but it's, uh, you know, it's that big picture. And that graphic just uh, I'd be interested to see how long it takes people to kind of wrap their head around it because it was a, it was really an aha, aha moment for me pretty quickly when I looked at the categories. But then we think about it a lot. Uh, for others, I'd be interested to see, uh, you know, you know how that resonates with others. But uh, I think it will. We have highlighted uh, Pater's presentation, a video presentation, and have provided the link through the newsletter. Um, like I said, it's about 15, 20 minute presentation. And we've been informing Pater about asset management and where we are at. And so I'm looking forward to his presentation on uh, January 24th to 
see if he has any new information that he relates as he gives his presentation because he starts off with the, that slide with a little bit of information and keeps adding information. So we're really honored to, to have that. So Jim, what were the other questions you had? Well, actually two words, you know, uh, the first one is opportunity uh, and how it relates to risk because we had big discussions in 55,000 about that. And I, I was one of the ones that dug my heels in and said, every time we say risk, we should needed to say opportunity as well. Uh, and what your thoughts on that are. My thoughts have gone back and forth. Uh, and the other one is time uh, and how, you know, the time dimension of all this seems very important, but it's not something we, we often think about. We think about trying to understand the now, uh, you know, and the time dimension, how that plays into it. Have any <laughs> less than hour long thoughts on either of those? <laughs> So I guess the the um, the the if we go back to the 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 origin, by the way, of that uh, value at risk continuum, that was a contribution that I made on behalf of TC three zero nine to the discussion on within ISO, where a task force is being created to try and get to some sort of a, an alignment between some four hundred definitions of risk yeah. within ISO. Um, and um, there is a definition that um, exists within ISO 31000, but it, it only works at the organizational strategy setting level. And it speaks to the effect of uncertainty on the achievement of an objective. And on that basis, risk is a neutral thing. It's, 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 uh, it is neutral. So um, whereas if I'm in a, in a health and safety kind of role within an organization, risk can only be a bad thing, right? But if you think about it in the context of, um, uh, let's say the military, right? Uh, my, 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 my background, um, at the level of a general, bringing a formation of 10,000 men, women across terrain, and he's got to achieve, he's got to liberate a town. His objective is liberate the town, free the civilians with minimum harm, and he sees that as an opportunity. Now, the poor guy in the in the trench that's got to get up and go over open ground, right, with his rifle butt to his shoulder, he doesn't see the opportunity. He sees death or injury, right? So you see these two people now in a continuum, right? Um, theoretically, the soldier is committed to the objective, but practically, he's not. He's focused on staying alive, because for him, risk. It's bad. He might lose his life. For the general, risk if he doesn't take it, the town is not going to be liberated. So at that strategic level, risk is neutral. Um, but and what I'm trying to achieve within the, the task force is that effectively an ontology might be created. And maybe that visualization of the continuum, maybe more of a yin-yang might work as opposed to that above and below us at the X line. Doesn't really work sometimes. For some people, so I'm, I, I'm kind of a Socratic in my kind of approaches. I, I think I like to think at least. So I'm saying I don't care whether you like my ideas or not. I don't care whether you like the visualization or not. If through a series of conversations, we get to a realization, ah, it's not what you said here, but with these additions or refinements, this is what good looks like. 
then for everybody, the dial moves going forward, everybody benefits. So I'm not wedded to any of the ideas. What I'm wedded to is the idea that we can get to some sort of alignment and better understanding because um, that integration of financial and non-financial information, um, we're now in the year of digital reporting, XBRL and all of that. Um, we simply cannot, it just does not make sense from a data as an asset perspective to have all these different definitions and different units of measure. There's no alignment, no normalization. It's a mess. It's got to get sorted. And it's, it would be sorted, it'd be slow. It would be sorted. I went on a bit too far though, I know that. Sorry. Oh no, you just uh, entrenched yourself in the uh, <laughs> list of potential ALN senior fellows. I'll bring it up to the board meeting. No, you, your, your thinking is perfectly aligned with the ALN and your words are a little bit ahead. So that's, so who, <laughs> that's who we want to be talking with. And last year we met uh, uh, Mary Adams and uh, she joined uh, through her company, Smarter Companies. And she's now with Insight7 and she's uh, big into ESG. And this is a little preview of what will be happening in uh, on January 24th, where you'll give a presentation and then Mary will join in a discussion. Mary, how are you doing? Okay, that was great. Thank you, Jim Petter. Um, you can turn your camera on if you want to, but you don't have to. Yeah, I can. Um, it's not showing that I have that option. Oh, I'm sorry. So um, while I'm adjusting here, what have you thought of the discussion? Well, I, I you know, I love it. We we all love um, going deeply on these topics. Um, a couple thoughts I had. I you know, the one thing I point out that if we just look at financial and then ESG, one big thing that we're missing that's not in the financial uh, calculations is um, is the I promoted Mary to panelist and cut her off in doing so. <laughs> Sorry for the interruption, Mary. That's fine. No, but so, so um, you know, the digital assets uh, are, are very considerable and they're not in the accounting model to a huge degree as well. So it's definitely something, you know, want to think about. Um, and I loved your... Uh, statement about a hundred thousand people in a company all being risk managers. I think that that's really the fundamental challenge here is that we tended to think so top down. And um, you know, if you think about the tools that people have in a company to connect the dots, I mean, you've got financial statements, the chart of accounts covers, you know, everything that you spend money on. You have the org chart, that tells you who does what, but there's no value chart. There's no value map. And that's the really interesting thing to me is, you know, risk and value as we've, as we've made clear here, go hand in hand, right? So value, destruction, preservation, and creation uh, depend on those 100,000 people. I don't yeah. know if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead, Peter. I'm just going to say that uh, 
Mary, you know, you're an international expert and authority on integrated reporting, and you're intimately familiar with the integrated reporting model from the IIRC. And I really like that 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 piece of imagery, um, and uh, it speaks of capitals on the left, business model in the centre, activities running through the business model, and there's a change in output and outcomes. Um, and I think that the where, where, once people begin to to think of a company as comprised of a stack of capitals. And once they begin to think in terms of what effect are the activities having on each of the capitals, they don't have to be having an effect on all the capitals at the same time. Sometimes you've got to make a decision which will be to the detriment of one capital for the greater good of, a, of another capital, because the outcome you want to get is ultimately aligned with the objective, the purpose of the organization and so forth. And um, it, it kind of sounds very technocratic the way I described it just now, but trust me, it's 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 so simple. And and you know there are a lot of people. And and Mary, you're the kind of person. And we've spoken about the ESG exchange and so forth. But um, uh, our our challenge is, and our 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 task is to make it easy, simple, to apply um, for all of those 100,000 people. And sadly, for you know, I would advocate—not sadly, but I would advocate quite happily—we need to get rid of some retiresome terms, like risk. <laughs> it's all about decision making. Once you know where you're going. When I was in the military about a thousand years ago, we never used the risk word, and I was being trained as a young man to do stupid things, like put myself in, in harm's way. Why would you do that? Never use the risk word. We took precautions. Doing things safely was just comes out of our sinews. But being super clear about the objective and the mission statement, what we had to do to achieve that objective. And sometimes you might say, you know something, not today. Um, but we never use the term risk or risk management. Uh, that's what I would advocate, getting to that state of understanding about the objective, how we get there safely with all our capitals intact to the extent possible. That's what I think it's about. And I, I think that those people on the ground often know that a decision that's being made is going to destroy value in other capitals, uh, but they don't have the tools or the information or the power to bring that into the decision. And that's, I think that's all of our collective jobs is to, is to yeah. give people what they need to, to um, raise their hands and make, help make the right decisions. Absolutely, yeah. And sometimes you can't give everybody complete, sorry, Jim, I could have crossed you earlier on, I'm gonna stop now. Oh, no, no, keep going, keep going. That's... Yeah, but. I was, uh, I was going to turn it a bit in the other direction, uh, you know, thinking about ESG and the, and the six capitals, I guess the six capitals are, are four in particular. But we've had discussions in the back that we have a, a sore point around the term human capital uh, for, you know, just a variety of historical reasons. I mean, I understand the concept. Uh, the analogy is if you own a sports team, uh, you know, you don't own Ronaldo. You own Ronaldo's services. Uh, you know, if, you know, he could quit tomorrow, you know, and you'll do anything else you want, maybe not play soccer. But uh, the, I would, the six capitals, really the use of the word capital is almost virtually uh, analogous to asset, 
yet no okay so that's that's a good so I'm, I want to hear that answer but uh, but then I you know I can see assets throughout the six capitals but it's really the word asset is really not in the forefront of that discussion yeah the reason I shook my head and, and I, that's probably not fair because I know you and the name of your organization is Asset Leadership Network. And I think you should think about all of the capital. But the accountants tend, no. accountants talk about assets as something you don't own. And um, you're right, you don't own um, your human capital. And so I, I put in the chat, since I spoke with you last, because we had this conversation last year about human capital, we came up with a much better way of of expressing it and it's in that post that I just put it's kind of a geeky post but um we're geeks thank you you know so, so it's if you think about ESG being another name for for the triple bottom line so people profits and planet oh. then you can say well really what we're talking about is relationship capital with our employees and so that's how we've uh, broken it down and I don't think there's a magic number I think, in fact, in our software, you can customize your capital structure. Um, it's really, you know, thinking about what are all the resources. And I know, uh, you know, Petter, I'd love to hear you talk about your, because you're part of the Capitals Coalition, right? Hmm. What right. What's going on there? Well, there, there's a lot going on. I mean, there are protocols out in terms of natural capital, human and social capital and so forth, but you used uh, two words earlier on, uh, resources and relationships. And I was listening today to a conversation between the chair and vice chair of the International Sustainability Standards Board, okay, ISBE. Um, and that now is a, a sibling of the International Accounting Standards Board. And uh, between the two, IRC is co-owned and, and so forth, um, the integrated reporting uh, model and so forth. But um, Sue Lloyd spoke about um, resources and relationships. And even though, you know, ISB and IASB have to speak in primarily accounting terms, a lot of the language that ISB needs to use, there are, there are no associated, you know, they, they don't fit within accounting definitions. And um, so I guess that's why you shook your head because you were right in that context, the accounting understanding of the word asset vis-a-vis -vis the capitals as we understand them. So that's all been kind of reconciled. There's a, there's a massive, there's a massive re-education that, that's going on. And if you think about it, it took decades to get audit to the state now where we have it. We have to do now the same, the integration of financial and sustainability related non-financial information, get that to an audit ready state in a handful of years, not decades, because we don't have time. So the stresses and strains on people to learn, re-educate, reskill is, is gonna be huge. And for that reason, we're gonna have a lot of pushback as well, I suspect. So I just put in the, in the chat that the integrated uh, reporting framework and the integrated thinking principles, which are yes. that those projects, the connective tissue that's that's yeah. um, being worked on 
uh, it's been worked under, well, it's been worked on for 10 years, but but it's been brought in as, as Peter mentioned to be that connective yeah. tissue between yeah. financial and sustainability. And Jim, what you're doing, what you're doing at the ALN, you know, you've, you're you're bringing this this whole kind of cohort of people and professionals. You're you're introducing them to where the where the where the world is going to be, right? It's inevitable. The value train has left the station, <laughs> right? And um, what you're doing on the ALN is to is to become part of that a part of that journey, because if you don't, it'll overtake you. Uh, so. Um, I commend you for, for what you're doing in, in that context. Yeah. Thanks. Mike, I didn't know that I, I have not been able to read the chat comments, but there's been lots of them. Is there anything in particular, you know, a question or a topic that you could highlight from that? Well, we were actually hitting on all of them. Huh. Um, it just naturally flowed the way the audience is thinking is, uh, being addressed by the comments of our speakers. So uh, I've copied them all and I will uh, uh, share them so that it will inform our next event. And as a matter of a fact, that will, uh, our newsletter will request people to have questions ready or send submit questions for the presentation on the 24th where we, we do a mashup presentation on asset management, governance, risk, ESG. And I think we should be addressing what we can do about it. Yeah. So you know, identifying the issues as we are is, is really important. So, it, and, and that's it just a, the line of thinking that was just coming to me is, is to ask Mary and Peter, who is the target audience for your work? Who are you trying to impact? Mm. A hundred thousand people. <laughs> well, you know, in the in the ESG exchange, um, I'm I'm a co-founder of it. Um, it will begin to raise its head um, by the middle of this year. There's a physical event face to face taking place in London, Chatham, in Chatham House, with all the global standard setters, regulators, and the principal players. Um, and the mandate of the ESG exchange is to produce how to do ESG playbooks, right? But the exchange will not um, originate any content. All the good stuff's already been written and thought about. We're simply going to curate. And uh, we need people with lots of scar tissue and huge experience, organizational experiential, like Mary, um, to, to work with the exchange. And we've got one, our ambition is to put 1 million people, managers from, um, 10,000 multinational corporations through the sustainability reporting program That's a great in, the e, in the ESG exchange. If you think about it, um, the trickle-down effect to, to supplier companies and partners would be huge. And we have a bigger number um, in relation to those in the SMEs because the SME challenge, small and medium-sized enterprise challenge is different to the multinational challenge. But um, there's a massive Whereas if the exchange is not an educational body, effectively, um, we will have to just help people understand to change their thinking. And uh, we're using particular technologies, learning management systems and so forth, not because we're educational, but because the functionality will allow us to help people better grasp what our 
sometimes kind of complex concepts and just bring them down into very basic. Um, do this, do this, do this. And eventually over time, if you keep on doing stuff, it becomes second nature, like learning a traffic car for the first time. So that's our ambition in the exchange. That's the ESGExchange.info? Correct, correct. I've shared that. And if there's some way that the ALN can be supportive of that and get some Absolutely. of our... UK or European people involved in that. Um, Absolutely. Or maybe Mary can take a trip to London. Anyway, um, um, so there is a lot to do. And um, I shared with uh, Peter and Mary and Jim earlier what uh, Onuma Inc. is doing for the ALN, which is setting up demonstration workshop that helps us apply these principles. And when Mary and Peter see the approach and how it uses digital twins and representations of humans and things like that, there might be some way to uh, uh, assist what you're doing there also. So I, I have a follow-up question to the targets is, and that's, you know, what's the, What's the counterforce you're running into? What's what's the resistance? Is it just the usual resistance to change? Is there another line of thinking, or is it just uh, is it just have a helping people to see the next the next thing? Yes. <laughs> I mean, they, 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 I, I'm kind of when I joined Arctic Asian months ago and I brought the team with me. Um, I, I I kind of expected what I got, but what I'm what I find today is because I'm kind of I'm kind of in a unique and very just very fortunate position because it's around for the last twenty years and it's customer base. I'm talking to seriously senior people in in, in very large organizations, mm -hmm. and um, truthfully, it's not a case of resistance. It's a case of they being at their wits' end. They just don't know. You've got chief sustainability officers who might have been journalists 10 years ago and a chief, you know, a, a, um, a CSR, corporate sustainability reporting person five years ago. And now they're the CSO. And they, 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 they've never had to think in terms of, I have to gather all these data, E, S, and G stuff, right? There's a lot of stuff in there. We have to identify where the stuff is, right? We have to cleanse it, we have to structure it, and we have to transform it so that it can all be then aggregated and made decision useful. That is, uh, for, for, and organizations that, that um, are large in nature, they depend hugely, even if they're private, they, they, they depend hugely on the, uh, the debt markets. And investors today and lenders today now want deeper uh, insight into what's going on in your organization so they can make a better decision. Do I put money in or do I get out? So they're at their wit's end. Um, the, the political debate is a different matter, but corporates are at their way. Now, in my experience, at their wit's end, and a lot of them would wish it never happened, <laughs> that it would all go away. But- um, Well, I think uh, that ties back to something that Jim said, which is to simply state something as an indication that you fully understand it. And what we're talking about, I think, is what the ALN is trying to do, which is rapid deployment 
of industry best practices. And what you're talking about is the leadership industry. And if we can assist in the rapid deployment of these concepts, so simply that people say, yeah, that's what I was gonna do anyway, then we'll, we'll accelerate the need. And as long as you've identified the problem as reducing the time to uh, acceptance of these concepts, I, I think that's something that we can address as a team you know, of co-conspirators who don't care about getting credit, just want to have the impact. That's one of the things that Jim taught me also. So um, we've just got a couple minutes, you know, obviously this can go on forever and we knew it was gonna be good. So we're gonna continue this um, in just a couple of weeks. But uh, Mary, do you wanna make a closing statement? Yeah, I was just gonna address Celia's last um, comment because yeah, I think it, it speaks to, you know, this transition we're making. And um, there, it's so easy to default to the financial side because that's what has governed you know our thinking for so long uh, but the financial markets are changing and the reason they're putting so much pressure on is that they've realized that you know especially all the large portfolios they've gotten bigger the, the companies managing money that there is no way that they can diversify away many of the risks that companies are facing today and so if you can't buy one, buy one company and offset it with another, you have to drive system change. And that's what's so unprecedented right now is that the, the financial markets are pushing for fundamental change in how you think. I mean, I never expected to see financial and sustainability standards move side by side so quickly, and yet they have. So that's, for me, a cause for hope. Um, but it's but it's a huge challenge. So, well, thank you, Mary, and thank you, Cecilia, for uh, your comment. Peter. Oh, I couldn't. I couldn't. Uh, Mary just nailed it there. Um, she's absolutely right. Um, it's all about the money. ESG is not about wokeism. It's about the money and sustainable performance over the longer term and keeping global economies running. Um, because if you don't have that, then the hungry man becomes an angry man, and that's not good. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I love this conversation. Uh, maybe my favorite so far of any we've had the ALN, and that's and that's saying something. Uh, but uh, this conversation uh, certainly needs to continue from an ALN perspective as we uh, understand how all these pieces fit together. Uh, I think we continue to think we can make a difference, and uh, as obviously both of you do. Uh, and we're looking for ways that we can help make a difference. That's what oh, Mike lives oh, What were you saying, Jim? That's what you live for. Yes. So thank you all. Uh, this is very exciting. You've got uh, our audience really fired up too. And we look forward to talking to you uh, again soon. And we'll see everybody at Thursday at 3 next week. Thank, thank you. Bye-bye. Thank, thank you. Anna. Happy bye -bye. 2023, everyone. Happy New Year. We hope you enjoyed our podcast, and we would like to thank the Andrew James Advisory Group for their sponsorship. For more information about AJAG and their services, please visit www.
andrewjamesadvisory.com or email info at andrewjamesadvisory.com.